Please turn with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58, and we'll read the verses 1 to 12. Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then you shall light, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the the afflicted, Then shall your light arise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Please turn also to Mark chapter 2 for our text this morning. Mark chapter 2, the verses 18 to 22. Now John's disciples 
and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came to him and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so also are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this word. We're thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for our salvation, but also what it means for our sanctification. And we pray that as we hear your word this morning, as we consider what this teaching is, that you would guide us to look at our hearts and to consider how we relate to you. And to do so in a godly way, in a way that is sanctifying for our souls, for the glory of your name, for the extension of your kingdom. So bless us with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark and we recognize that God's word is calling us to follow Jesus. And to be a follower of Jesus means that you have to completely change. The work of God is working in such a way, the power of Christ is working and the word of God is working in such a way that it will change everything about us. It will change our ideas And the way we think about things, we'll learn to think and we'll strive to think God's thoughts after him. It will change our wills and what we want. The will is the capacity of choice. We'll make different choices if we follow Jesus. Our choices need to change. And maybe most difficult of all, our feelings need to change. How we respond to things our delights, our, our affections, our passions need to change. To follow Jesus means complete change. That's been established from the early days of the gospel in which Jesus called men like Levi or men like Peter or Andrew, his brother, or James and John And called them to forsake all and follow him. Well, this morning uh, we're dealing with the question of fasting and feasting in the kingdom of God. 
Fasting is, is not eating food particularly. It could include drink, but not eating food for a set period of time. And just as soon as we mention this practice, we need to recognize there are significant problems associated with this practice. That, in fact, is the framework of our text this morning. There's the practice, there's the problems, and then there's the parallels or the pictures that Jesus uses to impress upon us what he is teaching with regard to fasting and feasting in his kingdom. So that's what we'll be considering this morning from God's word, uh, the practice, the problem, and the parallels. First of all, the practice. What is the practice that is at issue here when, when uh, these disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees come to Jesus? The Pharisees had a particular practice of fasting. Uh, we know this from various places in tradition, but also in God's word. It alludes to this. The Pharisees practiced fasting on two days of the week, Mondays and Thursdays. Luke 17, when we hear the prayer of the Pharisee, as he offers that prayer out of self-righteousness, he, he thanks God and he declares his righteousness that he fasts twice a week, unlike the, the publican there who can't even lift his eyes to heaven. And this fasting became a mark of their piety. Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount, and he warns about the misuse of fasting. They would go around, they wouldn't anoint their heads with oil, they would have gloomy faces. Some would even put on sackcloth. We hear from Isaiah 58 that it included ashes. And they would show and they would give the demeanor of someone who is gravely sorrowing for something. And it became hypocritical. They organized the outside to hide the inside. And Jesus warns of that. And the disciples come, and of the Pharisees, the disciples of the Pharisees come, and they say, why don't your disciples maintain this appearance? But it wasn't only the disciples of the Pharisees, it was also the disciples of John. They also practiced fasting. It wasn't the Pharisaic use of the fast, but it was a fasting that resulted from humbling their souls, and this was what God had decreed in the Old Testament, that, that when God's people knew that judgment was coming, they were to have their hearts broken in repentance, and one of the ways to establish the breaking of one's heart was to display this in a fast. God commanded a fast as a means of humbling the soul on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. That was the day when there were two goats. One was the scapegoat that would escape to the wilderness, and one was the goat that was slaughtered, and the blood was brought into the Holy of Holies. That was the Day of Atonement. And God said on that day, on that day when your sins are being dealt with in this very graphic, gospel-oriented way, I want you to have your hearts broken with regard to sin, and I want you to fast of your sorrow for sin. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, fasting was practiced as a way to express sorrow. David, after he'd sinned with Bathsheba, knowing that his son was going to die because of his sinful deed, would not eat, would not drink. He would not anoint himself with oil for the days in which the son lived. Then when the son died, he ate 
he anointed himself with oil and he drank. And his counselors wondered, why, David? Because David said, my sorrow was this boy was going to die because of my sin. And his heart was broken and he expressed that with fasting. Fasting was expressed in the Old Testament as, as a time when, when God's people needed protection. Ask Esther in the, the time of Ahasuerus, asked God's people that they would fast and pray so that when she went into the king, she may gain the favor of the king, a favor that she wasn't entitled to, but she needed God's protection, protection for herself, protection for the Jews from Haman's plot, and so the people fasted. Fasting in the Old Testament was a means of expressing repentance, a recognition of sin that had been committed and the need to turn our hearts back to God. Nineveh, when they heard that God's judgment was coming in 40 days, repented and held a fast. And this was the character of John's fasting. It fits in well with how he comes as the last of the Old Testament prophets, as the closest to the coming of the kingdom of God, as he goes to Israel and warns them that the hand of judgment is coming upon them, Repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. And his fasting was, was something there as an expression of, of that awareness of judgment and that worthiness of judgment and how hearts needed to be broken because of that. And that's the practice of fasting. That's the practice that, that comes behind these disciples, both of John and of the Pharisees coming. There's, there's fasting as a ritual, and fasting as an expression of repentance. That's the practice. But secondly, secondly, this causes a problem. It causes a problem for the disciples. Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Why should we fast and you not? As we listen to the answer, and we need to learn from this answer, we need to be careful because when we recognize this problem, when we approach this issue, we need to recognize that there are, there are two ways, two ways of evaluating practices that arise from God's word. Two ways of, of evaluating piety or spiritual practice. Two ways of considering this practice of fasting. Or any practice. Let me explain those two ways for a moment. It has to do with how you and I engage in or dismiss piety, spiritual practices. How we evaluate them. How we weigh them up. How we wrestle with them. Do we do, we do this or don't we do this? And more importantly, why? Why should we fast or not? fast. What are some of those ways? And, and generally there's, there's one of two lines that, that we will follow when we're, we're engaged in this evaluation. When it comes to spiritual practices, when it comes to expressions of piety, there are some duties that are good just to do in and of themselves. And so, so we should do them no matter what. Bible reading, listening to sermons, Prayer. God's word says enough that we know that these are positive things to be engaged in, and so we should be doing them. They're duties to follow. 
And this is how we approach fasting. Is this just another duty to add to the list of things that we should do? That's one way of evaluating this. And some hear that and the questions come. Is that the character of the Christian life? Is the Christian life just a matter of doing one's duty? This sounds like the Pharisees. We don't want to be like them. So there's another way of thinking about practices. Another way of evaluating what are we supposed to be doing. And, and we evaluate piety and we evaluate our practices and, and we regard them or we dismiss them based on whether it's helpful. Is it helpful? And our focus becomes, what is it that helps me draw near to God? Does this work for me? Don't talk about duty because that kills the spirit. We need to find what is practically helpful for keeping my soul celebrating the work of Jesus. So those are the, the two ways of evaluating. And it seems like, it seems like this is how Jesus is answering this question saying, my disciples, they, they can't fast. They can't engage in this duty. They shouldn't follow this duty because I'm here. I want them to be celebrating. I want them to be rejoicing. I want, I want them to be doing something that's helpful for them. I'm here. This is like a wedding feast. You wouldn't, you wouldn't mourn. You wouldn't break your heart. You wouldn't grieve at a wedding. Nor would you fast. You see, that is entirely impractical. Duty should be disengaged because I want them, and our transition to us, I want you to enjoy me. And so it seems, it appears, like Jesus cancels their ethic, their, their evaluation of duty with a call practically to celebrate him. Don't fast because I want you to celebrate my presence. And that's how we listen to this problem. And we say, see, I, I just need to celebrate Jesus. Whatever helps me celebrate Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. There's one more part of the problem. Because that's not all that Jesus says, is it? Jesus says the days will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then they will fast. And if we're limited to our two ways of hearing that, what do you do? And what you do is based on either duty or practical benefit. And, and today our emphasis is on practical Christianity. Then we'll say, well... Fasting is okay, provided it's not required. Don't make it a duty of me, as long as it's not required, as long as you can pitch it in a way that you don't make rules and you can show me that it's practically beneficial for my relationship with Jesus. Yeah, then you can appeal to fasting. This is how most appeals go. And can you believe it? Can you believe it? 
Scientists today are even finding with health concerns that intermittent fasting, it's called, is actually healthy for you. And you can see the train of thought. Well, if scientists can recognize that this is healthy for us in the body, surely it's going to be that way in the soul. And the challenge of this problem is we are left to ask and to answer, will fasting keep my soul satisfied with Jesus? And we evaluate fasting practically. Does this enhance my relationship with God? Pastor, tell me how it's going to enhance my relationship. Use some examples. Use some examples from history. Use some examples from God's word and show us. And then we'll try it. And we use the gauge of personal benefit to evaluate our spiritual practice. And that's a problem. Because we hear Jesus say, I want you to celebrate me. And so that becomes the target of my self-satisfaction with Jesus. And that becomes the goal. So now how do we deal with this practice in light of these problems? I think this thirdly is where the parallels are so important. Jesus uses two pictures. The picture of the unshrunk cloth and the new wine to help us to, to consider what he is saying, and he puts them together beautifully to help us understand his teaching on fasting and other practices of piety. Some have interpreted what Jesus is saying here as contrasting the practice of the Old Testament with the practice of the New Testament. I don't think that fits and I don't think that follows the flow of scripture because if we do that too much and if we, we take that perspective, if that's the case, then, then appeals to continued fast and fasting in the New Testament era, in the New Age, and the example in the book of Acts and in the epistles just doesn't make sense. God's people fasted not only in the Old Testament but also in the New Testament. They fasted when they needed to appoint office bearers. They fasted when they, they, and prayed when, when they needed to provide missionaries. They fasted and they prayed when they needed to make big decisions. Historically, we, we probably haven't grown up with fasting. But the church has used fasting in times of, of national crisis. Days of fasting were called for. And I would suggest that what Jesus is teaching helps us to, to think about our understanding and our evaluation, how we evaluate spiritual practices. And his teaching is, is greatly significant here. The easiest way to grasp this, to, to get our heads around this, is, is to think of if, if the two ways are duty or personal benefit, to hear what Jesus is saying and recognize that he's giving us not a, a, 
a way that falls on either side of those, but actually a third way of evaluating spiritual practices. And that is to think of Jesus. To think of Jesus as the unshrunk cloth and the new wine. Jesus is the unshrunk cloth and the new wine. And the old cloth and the old wineskin... Those are those ways in which we naturally fall in our interpretation of practices, of piety, of whether we regard or dismiss a practice. You see, the old way that, that we naturally flow, the, the way we've been created as image bearers is, is to appeal to duty or to appeal to practical significance. And Jesus is saying it's neither. That's the old wineskins. That's the, the old cloth that needs to be patched. And if you just paste me on, it's going to destroy both. You're going to lose the gospel and you're going to lose your way of evaluating what's good and what's right in God's eyes. We need a new wineskin and a new garment that includes duty and practical significance, but not as an end in themselves, but as a means to witness for the work of Jesus Christ. A way to show his accomplishment, that he is the end. That his calling of us, that his design for us, his direction of us to change is to show him. This is when I think the prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling here in these words, the prophecy of Isaiah 58 is so helpful. So turn with me to that prophecy of Isaiah 58. Because something had gone horribly wrong in Israel. And they were aware of this. And they recognized this. And listen to what they're saying. They were using, God's word addresses the fact that they were using their fasting as a cloak for abuse. And what was their question? They were doing their duty, but it wasn't having any effect. Their question was very practical. They questioned the practical benefit. Why, verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no pleasure of it? Why are we doing what we thought would be beneficial in our duty? Why are we doing those things that you have commanded and you're not noticing it? And, Jesus, and God says, that's not what I've commanded you to do. And he says it most specifically in verses 6 through 8, and we need to hear this. In light of what they are doing, is not this the fast that I choose? Now think about this fast that, that God is going to display here. And listen to these words. To loose the bonds of wickedness. 
to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall, bring, shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. If I take that word fasting out of the picture, out of this word, I don't want to do that. But who does this sound like? What does this sound like? To loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke, to share bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, to clothe the naked, to dwell amongst those flesh who are cut off, the light dawning brightly, healing springing speedily, righteousness going. That sounds like Jesus. That sounds like Jesus. You see how Jesus comes. And he says, when I call you to change, don't go into your corner, whether it's duty that you find comfortable or personal benefit that you find practical, to evaluate your practice and say, yeah, I'll do that one. No, I'll give that one a miss because it doesn't suit me. Follow me, Jesus says. When you give up your food, don't make that an end in itself. Give it to the poor. When you fast, don't fill your cupboards and say, oh, I've got a feast coming after this one. Give it to the poor. If you should tear your clothes because of your grief, take those clothes and cover the naked. If your heart is broken because of judgment, go to those who are under judgment and make known to them the grace and the glory of God. When you eat, don't make it an end in itself. When you fast, don't make it an end in itself. Take what you have. Take what you forgo. Do you hear this as, as the new wines in new wineskin? Show the work of Christ to those who are in need. And whatever it takes, whether it's fasting or feasting, get to it. So let's conclude this morning with some God-given ways to evaluate your practice and God-given ways to evaluate the practice of your faith, whether that is fasting or feasting. Indulging or withholding. 
some helpful ways from God's word to evaluate our practices. First of all, ask yourself the question, what am I doing? Is what I am doing conforming? Does it fit? Does it follow the the teaching of God's word? Are there examples of it in God's word? And we know there are examples of fasting in the New Testament. That's why I don't think it's, it's appropriate to say, well, this is New Testament versus Old Testament. I've said that already. So with fasting, does it conform to God's word? With feasting, does it conform to God's word? Is there permission for this? Does God's word allow this? Because there are some things we can't say, well, well, I, I, I can do whatever I want. No, we're not saying that. If there's no duty, yes, there is duty. There's duty to follow God's word, to follow God's law particularly. Not it is an end in itself. So there's more questions for evaluation. Not only what do we do, does what we do flow from the teaching of God's word? Secondly, why? Why do you do it? Why do you do what you do? Do you do it for the glory of God? For the glory of God. Not for my personal well-being, not for my personal benefit, but because God has said he's glorified in this. And how do you do it? How do you do it? Do you do it as something that arises from true faith? Out of devotion to God. Out of a willingness to, to humble myself in his presence. Believing in his word. God has said whatever is not of faith is of sin. Is it from the, the deep-rooted assurance of, of Christ's accomplishment for me? That I will expend myself. That I, that I will forgo eating to feed the poor. I'll wear old clothes. So I can clothe the hungry, or the the naked. I'll impoverish myself. Does it arise from true faith? From a a union with Christ? Now let's apply this to fasting. Because I know, pastor, should we do it or not? I can't say yes or no. I have to say it depends on what you're doing, on why you're doing it, and how you're doing it. Does it conform to God's word? Yes, it does. God has said there is a time. Christ has taught us, Jesus teaches us in Matthew, not only to avoid the hypocritical use, but he teaches us when you do fast, do it in this way. Anoint your head with oil. Keep your countenance happy. So that people may see and know. Not that you're fasting, but you're delighting in the Lord. And the Father who sees in secret will know what's going on in your heart. Yes, it does conform to God's word. What about the why? Does it serve God's glory? Does it serve God's glory? Yes, provided we don't do it for show or as an end in itself, duty, or as a quest for self-benefit, to gain something from God. But we use it to glorify God. As we show the presence of Jesus and the desire to serve Jesus and to follow Jesus with our fasting and 
and our feasting. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, I think by implication, and whether you don't eat or don't drink, do it all to the glory of God. And then one more question for evaluation. Does it arise from true faith? Does it reflect an awareness of the work of Jesus Christ? Yes, we have seen from Isaiah how we are to fast, not in a way that neglects the poor, not in a way that abuses those who are oppressed, but to sacrifice ourselves. Do we have a gospel orientation in our spiritual practice. Fasting or feasting? Some helpful ideas with regard to fasting is to recognize that it's not a ritual. There are times for personal fasting. There are times for corporate fasting. It's not a ritual that's required, but it is a calling. It's a lot like prayer, and I think actually the two go together very well. You fast in order to pray, to pray, to seek God with all of your heart, to afflict your body so that your soul can draw near to God. And you do so with humility. Not to exalt ourselves, but to more faithfully serve our king. Fasting or feasting in the kingdom of God. You have the new wine. You have the work of Jesus Christ. Do this in the most beautiful ways that honor and glorify him in the care for those who are neglected, despised, and overlooked by our society. Not with self-interest, not with a commitment to duty, but with a complete devotion. Our ideas, our wants, and our feelings following our King. Amen.